It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 9th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Almost 40,000 members of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation are to take strike action on the 30th of this month. The INMO said uh, the withdrawal of labour for 24 hours would not impact on emergency services, but to all intents and purposes, the trade union is proposing a full day strike insofar as is practicable. This is to be followed by another 24-hour strike on the 5th of February and again on the 7th of February. If a resolution is not found at that stage in this dispute, three days of rolling strikes will be held on the 12th, 13th and 14th of February. Let's talk about this now with Industrial Relations Officer for the INMO, David Miskell, who's on the line and a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. What brought us to this stage? Okay, I suppose what brought us to this stage um, is what we we say is an ongoing Michael recruitment and retention crisis across the nursing profession Um, and this has been ongoing for some time now Um, nurses are coming back to us on a daily basis saying to us that they're working in unsafe conditions and that it's becoming impossible to provide safe patient care Um, And that ultimately there is a reason for that and that unfortunately the wages for uh, nurses and midwives in the public service are now not competitive uh, and it's a situation that needs to be addressed. Um, So most recently, um, and you will hear a lot of talk about this, Michael, um, across a number of uh, of outlets, most most notably Pascal Donoghue and and Simon Harris, um, in respect to the public services pay agreement. Uh, So the INMO recently balloted on the most balloted our members on the most recent public services pay agreement. Um, now, it was agreed that we would accept the terms of that agreement on the basis that there was a particular module within that to address these recruitment and retention issues. Um, we entered that process in good faith. Um, we submitted a comprehensive evidence uh, to the effect that there was a very clear crisis across the nursing and midwifery professions in respect of recruitment and indeed retaining people. 
Um, I hasten to add a significant amount of the information which came from the HSE's own information from, for example, their workforce plan, um, which would contain details in relation to such staffing matters. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, that module, we're very much of the view that the terms of reference for that module were interfered with and that a proper examination of of the current situation did not take place and ultimately a set of utterly defective recommendations emerged from that which were decisively rejected by our members. And so on that, on that basis we felt legitimately that we have no other option but to take uh, to take this course of action. Well, your members agreed with you, no doubt. Uh, you've certainly got a, a mandate for this with 95% of uh, the vote supporting uh, this action. Uh, but uh, in terms of what's being offered, you're rejecting a package which is worth €20 million euro, and the government is saying you're looking for a package which would cost €300 million. Euro. Yes, so that figure has been uh, put out there by Deeper, and I think it's important that we're, we're very clear on that, Michael. Um, that is a, a Department of Public Expenditure figure. We have not tabled a claim for 12%. We have absolutely been clear that we are prepared to be inventive in a set of discussions in respect of how we achieve parity with what we feel are professionals with comparable qualifications. So if you take it, Michael, from the perspective of a nurse or a midwife that comes out, uh, they do their leaving cert, they go in, they're a primary degree profession. There is absolutely no justifiable reason as to why there would be such a differential in pay. The difference in pay, Michael, uh, between a nurse and a midwife and an allied health professional, and I'm giving the examples of you know, if a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, who, again, I reiterate, there is absolutely no difference in the qualifications uh, necessary. Um, the difference is, is something in the order of €7,000 at every point of the scale. Now, to date, Michael, no one has come up to us with any justifiable reason, educational, clinical or otherwise, as to why such a, uh, a difference would prevail. But it is important to be clear. We believe, and I've, I absolutely believe, that that figure that has been put out there is designed to make us look unreasonable, to make us look like, for example, that we are making unsustainable claims. Mm. We categorically reject that assertion. Even if I took the figure of 300 million or 12%, mm. which I hasten to add has not been tabled by this organisation, but that isn't even a true reflection, because if you were to make such a, a payment in terms of a monetary amount, that wouldn't even encompass the tax that nurses would pay. So it wouldn't be anywhere near that in any event when you take out the tax that people would pay on any potential increase in earnings. Maybe, but, but, maybe it's not perceived that you're being unreasonable but maybe it is perceived uh, that it's unaffordable to grant the claim on the scale that you're looking for because there's so many nurses in the country compared to other professions in the health service uh, which uh, you're linking yourself to in terms of uh, professional uh, competency but if you, yes, it, I, I, I see your point Michael and yes obviously there are more nurses um, however there are more nurses for a reason that is because they are an essential and necessary part of the health service. The, the, the fact of the matter is, I suppose, that we say, and the, some of the conversations that are, are, you know, some of the public statements by Pascal Donoghue and indeed Simon Harris and the government on this matter are gravely disappointing. When you t- talk about a, a figure like 12%, mm. and when you talk about 300 million, you need to be honest with the public about what you're saying. So, they're saying that they've costed that proposal in that way. 
but they also must know that this organisation has not tabled such a claim. What you will also hear, Michael, is, is that the public services pay agreement that we have signed up to that and that we are now looking to to somehow uh, undermine that or we're now looking to, you know, get something uh, that someone else isn't getting. That's not the reality of the situation. The public services pay agreement clearly lays out a mechanism in line with Clause 3 where specific sets of circumstances, such as the one relating to nursing, can be addressed if, it's meaningful, if there's meaningful engagement where clear issues with recruitment and retention are identified. But whether it's a 12% increase or not, uh, it is on a starting salary of just over €31,000 or if additional allowances are claimed, the HSE says nurses are starting on €37,000 and that uh, the average pay for a nurse is 51000 a year. No, that, that, that's not correct. The average, the average figure is designed to create the impression that someone, well, first of all, it's a matter of opinion as to whether or not 51,000 euro in the, the wider context is in and of itself a king's ransom. But nonetheless, the average figure takes into account a whole multitude of different circumstances, mm. most notably nurses at the top end of the scale, most notably nurses that are in receipt of allowances. The, the public sector pay scales are a matter of public records. So, Michael, we're not saying anything that cannot be clarified by a, uh, by a, a basic and straightforward Google search. A staff nurse and, and midwife starting off earns a salary of 28000 €768. And a comparable allied health professional earns €35,319, which is a difference of over €6,500. As you progress up the scale, it is more than €7,000. Those allied health professionals also get allowances. They also get premium times. Mm. Those figures are being presented in that way, Michael. They are designed Mm. to make us appear like we are looking for something unreasonable, that we're looking for something that is somehow unfair or more than everyone else, and it's just not the case. But you are some of the highest paid nurses in the world. Well, actually, I I don't accept that. Um, I I wouldn't agree with that. So, so for example, if I take the hourly rate current, and these figures Mm. are current in, for example, uh, Australia, um, it's a figure of, um, and then this does take account for uh, differences, is 21 euro 10 cent in canada it's 27 13 and the usa it's 28 um it's 28 59 and in ireland it's 16 it's 16 66 we are significantly behind uh, our international comparators well an eu spurt survey in 2016 said ireland had the third highest paid nurses in the world on an average of $64,000. More than would be paid in Australia, more than would be paid in Denmark, and certainly more than would be paid in the Philippines, uh, where instead of $64,000, the annual uh, salary there would be $3,744. That's probably why there's so many Filipino nurses working in Irish hospitals. Well, that salary, that, that salary scale, that survey, obviously, um, I'm not sure what particular modelling exercise they've done to arrive at those figures, but I'm very clear in relation to the figures, Michael, that I've just, that, that I've just put to you. Now, for example, those figures are at the first point, those figures are at the first point of the scale. If I go up to the fifth point of the scale, and these are all, you know, the salary mm-hmm. scales are all, in terms of the public sector in those countries that I'm naming, they're all publicly available too. Um, so at the fifth point, for example, um, they're, the average hourly rate is 20 euro an hour in Ireland. In the in Canada, it's 31.30, and Australia, it's 25.85. Uh, so, 
it's there where our, our position is uh, we are significantly behind. The other, the other complicating factor here, and this is mainly in the area of retention, for example, I spoke to a nurse yesterday mm. who will be shortly coming out. She will, be, uh, she will be finishing up her training and then discussions are going to take place around a contract in where she, she would be placed. Um, she has been offered a contract of employment in London um, with a significantly you know, higher rate of pay. She's been offered a relocation bonus, free flights. The NHS are, in particular, are attracting our nurses and they're attracting them on the basis of the monetary packages that they're offering them, but also in respect of working conditions. Mm, but would, so, you, would, you, would you forgive people, for forgetting about the working conditions for a moment, just on the rate of pay, would you forgive people for coming to the conclusion uh, that you're outlining a, a situation where somebody uh, is very well paid, but is leaving to get even better paid? Well, that's a matter of opinion in respect of, because we would not say, we would absolutely and categorically deny, uh, Michael, that nurses are very well paid. I mean, I've given you a figure there, which is, again, it's a matter of public record. The starting salary of €28,768 is the starting point of a salary scale. If I take even the first point, for example, actually, no, I'll take the very much, a senior staff nurse, a senior staff nurse that works for over 10 years gets to a figure on their salary, on their salary of €47,500. Now, anyone I believe listening to the show this morning would, would seriously question, has, if anyone has gone in to try to get a mortgage, I bear in mind that's after working for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So you try and go in and get a mortgage on €47,000, it'll be extremely challenging. So what I would encourage listeners and any member of the public, Michael, who would take the view that somehow nurses, these are well-paid these are well-paid professionals that are leaving somewhere else to get better paid. But I believe the figures uh, would very uh, definitively discount that myth. Fair enough, David. Do you think uh, that you can win this argument with uh, government? It seems as though uh, it's saying it's not for b- moving. Yes, I believe we can and I believe we will. And I not only believe those things, I believe we have to. And we have to for the future of the health service because we simply cannot continue in the vein that we are uh, because we simply cannot recruit nurses. The statement by Simon Hurst, while I know he has made uh, assertions in respect of inviting us in for talks, he has also said the dispute is unwarranted, which has, has, is, is a retrograde statement in the context of what's trying to be achieved. I reiterate that I suppose we're absolutely clear we are prepared for meaningful engagement. We're prepared to be inventive about how we uh, arrive at a solution. And I believe we will. And we will because we have to. There is no other option. Mm. We can't continue as we are. But what I would call on, uh, on Simon Harris and Pascal Donoghue is, is, I suppose, to desist from attempting engaging at spin exercises and public relations and designed, that are designed purely to deny the existence of this crisis and get around the table and start acknowledging and recognising that there is a crisis and that it needs to be addressed. And that we can, if we cannot recruit nurses, which we can't because we've clearly demonstrated it by reference to the, the information contained in their own workforce plan, then this, then that situation is currently not sustainable. Even purely, for example, Michael, if you take it, we, we made an assessment, and again, this matter is, these matters are you know, public record, 1.5 million euro a week spent on agency. Now, that is a waste of money when we could be paying our nurses properly 
and having them working in an environment where they could be recruited and where they will be retained. Okay, David, listen, we'll leave it there for the moment. We'll hope that there's a resolution sometime in the next three weeks before the first day of planned action because undoubtedly everybody will agree that will impact on patient care. But thank you indeed, as I say, for joining us this morning. David Miskell, Industrial Relations Officer with the INMO, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to a closure order that was served on Our Lady's Hospital in Navan by the Food Safety Authority of Ireland in December. To tell us a little bit more about this, we're joined by Dr. Bernard Hegarty, who's Director of Enforcement Policy with the FSAI. And a very good morning to you, Bernard. Thanks as always for joining us here on the programme this morning. This was a closure order on the male medical ward kitchen. Uh, What was the problem? Uh, the problem in this case, uh, Michael, was that the, uh, the, there was rodent activity which um, hadn't been brought under uh, control uh, in the, uh, the kitchen uh, of the, the male ward in the hospital. And uh, therefore, um, they, that presents a, a grave danger to public health um, because of the risk of contamination of food. Uh, so a closure order was served and that closure order has, some, some days later that closure order was lifted uh, because the problem had been um, fixed. Right, and you said in your letter to the hospital manager that this posed a grave and immediate danger to public health. Uh, there was discovery of rodent droppings, fresh droppings, and also a dead rodent found trapped underneath a sink. That's right. Uh, these details are contained in the, the closure order that was served by actually by environmental health officers of the, the HSE who carry out the, the food safety uh, work in these kinds of premises. And uh, they did find uh, these conditions. Um, you know, we now release the details of the enforcement orders on our website so that people can actually see the details of why orders are served in particular cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Can you tell us if the rodent droppings, uh, because they were fresh, may have come from the dead rodent which was found underneath the sink unit? That's not really possible to tell at this uh, remove, um, but um, the rodents usually don't occur uh, on their own, and uh, where there's one, there's more. And uh, the, the, for all food businesses, it's imperative that pest control uh, problems are, are dealt with and that uh, you know, there's adequate precautions to, to safeguard the, the integrity of the premises and prevent the ingress mm. of rodents in the, in the first place. And, and do you believe uh, when you say it was rodents that it was rats or mice? Uh, that detail isn't contained in the uh, closure order, so I don't, I don't actually mm. know that specifically. Yeah, no, the paper seemed to be uh, reporting this morning that it was rats. Uh, it refers just to rodents in the closure order. Uh, and uh, as you said, uh, there's never a, a such thing as one mouse, uh, that there's always several of them. I'm not sure it's the same with rats, uh, or, or could there be a nest of rats? Uh, that's possible. Again, at this stage, it's, it's not possible to, to actually uh, comment definitively on that. I think the important point here is that the inspectors uh, came across this unacceptable situation and they took the prompt and necessary uh, action to protect um, public health. And it's a reminder to all food businesses mm. uh, that they've got to comply with the legislation. Uh, last year, 109 enforcement orders were served on food businesses um, by the official agencies uh, for uh, breaches of food safety legislation. And and um, that's up quite significantly on the previous year. 
And uh, indeed, you've often uh, talked us through some of the reasons why premises have been closed down. Is it all the more worrying when it's a health facility like this, particularly a hospital close to a medical ward? Uh, it is worrying because obviously um, the patients uh, would be more vulnerable to uh, infections of any kind um, being being ill. Um, so um, anywhere where there's healthcare facilities or nursing homes or any similar kind of facility where people uh, with as vulnerable consumers uh, need to take um, a special uh, care to, to maintain the, the safety of the food and make sure that it's not going to, to harm uh, the people being served. But, but there's responsibilities mm-hmm. on all food businesses. Mm-hmm. And there were takeaways and so on served, uh, closure orders as well, for uh, unacceptable um, breaches of food legislation. And um, it's important that uh, all food businesses maintain high standards. And I I suppose it can happen to anybody at some stage. I mean, uh, the best of us, the cleanest of us will find at some stage in our lives uh, that rodents have come into our house. Uh, Regardless of what we think of that, uh, it's sometimes unavoidable, but it's spotting it and getting rid of the problem. Uh, And should there be more onus on a health facility to be more vigilant and to, to detect this type of activity quicker? I think it's on all, it's not just on the health facilities, it's on all commercial um, and um, state-sponsored mm. um, food businesses. Um, if you are serving or selling food, you have legal responsibilities to maintain high standards. That includes um, keeping pest problems completely under control, um, maintaining the integrity of premises, um, maintaining um, mm-hmm. the other kind of common things like the cleanliness of premises, um, staff trained to deal with any food safety problems that they see, um, food kept at um, the right temperatures, to pre- pre- contamination prevented between raw and cooked foods. These are common problems mm-hmm. that we see in uh, food uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. And um, the inspectors, the environmental health officers within the HSE generally and other agencies um, will um, take the necessary enforcement action where the standards aren't maintained. Uh, I suppose uh, some people will be in a hospital involuntarily uh, on occasion uh, or uh, they have no option, uh, probably more accurately put. Uh, and there has been other problems in Our Ladies in Navin. We spoke to you a couple of years ago about uh, rats in the coffee shop. Uh, and I see the Irish Independent reporting today that the HSE has responded to that newspaper by saying uh, that in response to this, uh, that they're completing drainage work so that funding has been made available to the hospital in order to do that and other proofing works. Uh, do you think that there is a problem there with drainage or something else? Uh, I don't have enough detail really on the premises and I think the premises is probably the best place to, to make comments on its own uh, facilities and how it runs them. Uh, I think the role of the um, inspectors, the authorised officers uh, of the um, HSE and the other agencies that carry out food safety controls is really to just maintain that independent check uh, that the standards are being maintained in food businesses. Okay, and That's the important part and, here. And in December resulted in that closure which has subsequently being lifted, as you say. Uh, But thank you indeed uh, for joining us. As always, Dr. Bernard Hegarty, Director of Enforcement Policy with uh, the Food Safety Authority of Ireland, the FSAI. Now, Wednesday morning, and that means uh, that the local newspapers are in your shops. Marie Kearns is here with uh, the front pages for us uh, this morning, and we begin in Drogheda. We do indeed, and the Drogheda in
Independent is leading with the march that was held on Sunday to save the name of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. Uh, well, the paper also runs a story about Michal O'Dowd, Michael, the former councillor who's been selected by Renewal Ireland to contest this year's European election. There's also an election story on page three that caught my eye concerns the local elections and one councillor in particular, Meath East Councillor Sharon Keoghan, an independent councillor who, according to the paper, is considering running in three different electoral areas in the local elections in May. She's considering running in Meath East where she's a sitting councillor in Ashburn, which she just missed out on winning a seat there by 11 votes in 2014 and either in Drogheda Rural or Drogheda Urban. So that should be interesting if she does decide to do that. All right, and not for the first time, as you say. Uh, we stay in uh, Drogheda, the other newspaper there, the leader, uh, and they begin uh, with uh, that protest about uh, the name of the hospital as well. That's right, Michael, but there's an interesting story inside that paper too that caught my eye and it's sure to raise a few eyebrows, I think. Des Grant is reporting that a loud county council proposal to overturn a vote taken by Drogheda councillors last year to introduce a car parking charge of one euro per hour in Drogheda and replace it with a new charge of one euro ten was rejected by councillors at the meeting. Now Paddy Donnelly, Director of Service at Atla Loud County Council, pointed out prior to the vote on Monday on the new one euro one euro ten charge that if it was rejected that the fee of €1.20 per hour would be retained. And that's what happened. It was rejected and it will be retained. So that decision for the €1.10 charge, Michael, had been arrived at, you remember, following Mm. the long budget meetings and they needed to ratify it on Monday, but they didn't. So who knows where this is going to go. (laughs) All right, well, we'll watch that space, as they say. We'll go to Dundalk and what a load of rubbish (laughs) on the front page of the Democrat. They're talking about the opposite, actually. They are indeed a good news story for Dundalk on the front page of the Dundalk Democrat and it's reported that the the town has surged into the top 10 in the ranking of 40 towns and cities across Ireland according to the final litter survey of 2018 by IBIL, the Irish Business Against Litter. The ranking see Dundalk plays ninth, two places below Drogheda and the Dundalk leader is also running with the same story with the headline Dundalk winning the war against litter and in this article Paul Byrne says that Dundalk have moved up a mass of 13 places in the latest survey, now ninth out of 40 towns on the list, the highest ever ranking, so well done everyone there. Alright, uh, and uh, the Argus uh, leads uh, with uh, a story that will undoubtedly dominate all of uh, the papers in every locality and indeed across uh, the country in a couple of months' time. Yes, and this is a story we touched on before Christmas, Michael, and they're leading with the March Parade still in doubt, that's the headline of the, of the Argus, which reports that the lack of man power could still prevent the St. Patrick's Day Parade from being held. Um, according to the Argus, it's still not certain if the parade will go ahead this year, despite what has been described as a constructive meeting between Dundalk Chamber of Commerce and Loud County Council's Chief Executive, John Martin. PRO for the Chamber, uh, Paddy Donnelly, said that while council officials made some offers of assistance, the lack of resources may, remains a key issue. So there's a lot to play out there, Michael, it mm-hmm. seems. He's saying that we explained the situation that we just don't have the manpower to organise the parade. We physically can't do it. All right. So moving on then from that to Meath.
the last of them, Michael. Okay, and it's uh, the chronicle uh, that you have in front of you, and that's yes. uh, right up to speed uh, with uh, the news uh, that shocked all of us yesterday. That's right, Michael. Many of the other local papers had, of course, gone to bed by the time news of that awful RD murder had emerged, and it features on the front page of the Mead Chronicle, which also carries a story about renewed calls being made to build the Dublin Navin rail link. And Casey writes that as Dunshockland braces for a major population explosion with proposals in place for a raft of development that will almost double its population, fresh demands have been made for the extension of the railway line to Dunshockland and Navin. And there's a really interesting two-page special inside on the changing face of Dunshockland that's well worth reading. All right. Well, thanks uh, for that, Marie. Just uh, some of uh, the stories in uh, the local papers uh, this week. Perhaps you want to make comment on some of those papers because you'll be back in the next few I minutes will, uh, with some of the things that people are saying on the phones and you can ring Marie now on 1850 715 958 Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM, LMFM. Now, at half eleven yesterday morning, the grim discovery was made in RD yesterday by a neighbour who neighbour who discovered uh, that Elisbeta Piotrowska, a 57-year-old Polish woman who'd been living in RD for a number of years, had been murdered. Uh, let's talk about this with Richie Gulhan, a Fine Gael councillor and former member of uh, the special branch. Good morning to you, Richie, and thanks uh, for joining us. So, undoubtedly, you've been uh, speaking with members of Angarda Siakana and by all accounts, this was a, a very, very grim discovery and a very, very brutal murder at that. Yeah, by all accounts, Mike, good morning. Um, yes, I have been speaking with a number of, of, of my ex-colleagues and uh, yes, it was a very brutal murder and it was a very violent death this woman suffered, I'm led to believe. Um, it was also very traumatic, obviously, for the person that uh, found uh, uh, Elizabeth and indeed for the members of the force who were dealing with the actual scenes. Um, I believe there are three scenes, um, and uh, these scenes have been have been sealed off uh, for forensic investigation and forensic examination. Um, of course, as everybody knows at this stage, that a 32-year-old man has been arrested mm-hmm. and um, is in custody, and Gary aren't looking for anyone else. And may I say that you know the, the fact that this uh, murder was discovered at 11:30 uh, a.m. and the arrest was made an hour and a half later um, says a lot about the. Uh, uh, the girl, they have to be congratulated for that and how, how fast they got this particular person that they have in custody and drawed under Section 4 of the uh, Criminal Justice Act 1984. Uh, he's detained there and they don't believe that they're looking for anyone else at this particular point. In and I, I take it that the areas that are sealed off, I think it may actually be four areas that are sealed off at this stage, are the uh, are sealed off for inspection in terms of evidence gathering. Well, that's what I would imagine, that, you know, that these are important in terms of the investigation and uh, you know, any evidence that's gleaned, uh, you know, from these scenes uh, will be used uh, subsequently in, in, um, in, in, in the, uh, in the uh, prosecution of this particular case. Um, of course, everyone knows that this, this woman was, you know, she had been living in, with her husband and son and, uh, uh, in Ireland for the last 10 years and uh, was well-respected around the area and, 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 and well-liked around the area. So I can imagine only the, you know, how the people in uh, RD uh, are feeling at the moment. They're, they're very, very shocked. And RD, as everybody knows, is a mm. wonderful area to live. But anyway, it's, uh, it. mm. it's, 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 it's gratifying to know that, uh, you know, that somebody has been arrested in relation to this. And I'm sure 
that person will more than likely appear before the courts within the next either 24 hours. Uh, I'm sure that will be the case. Gardy say uh, that uh, this man was known to the woman, uh, uh, the woman uh, who uh, was discovered at half 11. A very gruesome uh, discovery. Uh, she's said to have been decapitated, beheaded by uh, an axe in this killing. Uh, and undoubtedly that will have a huge impact on the neighbour who discovered her, her husband, her son, her daughter is in Poland. Uh, they're trying to make uh, contact with uh, the daughter uh, as we speak. Uh, the, the, the husband was at work, I think, at the time of uh, this discovery uh, and indeed on frontline staff for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I, I attended a scene uh, similar to that where there was a decapitation in a murder investigation I was involved in many years ago. And it was a very, very horrific scene. And it's, you know, it's very traumatic for, you know, especially anyone that isn't dealing with scenes uh, of crime such as this uh, for somebody to arrive on, on at a scene like that and, and witness, uh, you know, this horrific violent death mm. of a of a young woman. There's a taxi um, driver as well who got caught up in this and un- unknowingly took a fare from the person who is thought to have been involved in this incident. Yeah, well, of course, this is, you know, this is obviously it's been mooted that this person got a taxi away from there and uh, the taxi driver obviously wasn't, wasn't to know, but I'm sure he's probably wondering to himself this morning, you know, I mean, what exactly happened and uh, how he got uh, in, involved in all this. You know, it is important to say that, uh, and as Superintendent Des McTiernan said yesterday in his interview with the with the media, um, that, you know, you know, there are people that actually have information as well, you know, I mean, that it, that would be important to the investigation. And regardless of the small, of, of how, uh, of how insignificant that person has uh, or thinks that information may be, it would help in the investigation. So anyone that has mm. has any information, you know, regardless, should go forward with that to the guarantee. Indeed, uh, the landlord uh, uh, and his wife uh, came to the house with flowers last night, as a lot of uh, the papers are reporting, uh, undoubtedly terribly impacted by the death of Elisabetha uh, and the circumstances under which she died. But uh, I'm sure uh, it's come as a terrible shock to the whole community and the wider community for that matter. Of course, and I mean, if you can just put yourself in that position, if you can understand, you know, I mean, the impact that it has knowing somebody uh, as the landlord knew and probably their neighbours knew and indeed many people around RD knew, uh, you know, to consider, you know, the thoughts that go through those people's head when they think about the violent death that this poor woman uh, suffered. Um, As I said, it is gratifying and it is uh, encouraging that uh, there is somebody in custody for it and I'm sure that that will... Uh, you know, the reasons for it will, will, will eventually show themselves over the next uh, weeks and months kind of thing as to why this individual, who I'm sure, uh, you know, people will obviously understand that uh, there has to be some sort of um, uh, mental weakness, I would imagine, um, uh, you know, for somebody to carry out such a, a horrific murder. I, I take it this must resonate terribly with you if, as you say, uh, you came across a, a similar scene, uh, a similar crime scene, uh, as uh, I suppose we'd call it when we're separated from separated from uh, the incident uh, and somebody is being beheaded in, in such a, a brutal way. But uh, I'm sure when you encounter that yourself, uh, it, it's purely a, a human tragedy uh, and something that's very hard to contend with. 
Well, absolutely. And regardless of how many scenes you attend and the many uh, horrific scenes you attend as as an investigator, um, none of them, uh, they, they all have an impact on you, really, you know, and you have to think about I mean, you're human after all. And when you look at, uh, you know, the, the loss of life in any situation, certainly in, uh, in a situation like that, you know, I mean, it, it is pretty horrific and uh, it does have an impact and certainly it will have had an impact on the poor woman that uh, discovered mm. that that awful scene. So I would I would hope that she would be receiving, you know, all the uh, all the uh, attention that uh, that she would need at this at this particular time. Uh, and indeed, many more I'm sure uh, who've been impacted. And it goes some way to highlight uh, the dangers of uh, the job that Gardaí face. And we've seen some of those dangers uh, in stark terms in recent years. And as you say, uh, sometimes some things don't matter. It's too fundamental to being. Human, and uh, I guess that's uh, the case to a, a large degree with uh, the award that uh, was given to Adrian Donahue's wife Caroline and his uh, two children yesterday. Damages yeah. for personal injury uh, against the state of 1.3 million euro awarded to, to the family, and only appropriately, appropriately so, I'm sure. Well, of course, and of course, it brings into sharp focus. You know, I mean, what what Gardaí do face on a regular basis, you know, on a daily basis around this country and indeed all over the world. And you know, I mean, speaking about Adrian and and you know the awards that uh, Caroline received and his family received from the courts yesterday. Of course, it doesn't compensate in any way for you know the loss that they have suffered, the loss that his family, his, his wider family, have suffered, and friends have suffered, and indeed his colleagues in Dundalk. Um, you know, one point. Whatever it was is irrelevant, really. When it comes to um, it, might it might help ease the pain in some way going forward for his children, but um, it will never ease the heartbreak that Caroline suffered uh, as a result of this of, of Adrian's horrific loss. That's it. A, a dark day six years ago, which uh, continues with a, a lifetime of heartache. A dark day in our D yesterday, following uh, the discovery of uh, Miss Piotrowska. Uh, at half eleven yesterday morning, we leave there for the moment. Though Richie, thank you as always for joining us here on the program today. That's Finnegale Councillor Richie Culhan, who's a, a former member of uh, the special branch. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns comes back in to us with some of uh, the calls and comments uh, that you've been getting on uh, the phones and uh, through the text messages, for that matter, Marie. Yes, Michael, plenty coming in in relation to the proposed strikes by the nurses. Mary in Trim says they need to pay the nurses. They work very hard in hospitals. It would be a disaster if these strikes go ahead. John from Dundalk says that he believes that the nurses are being left with no other choice. Change needs to happen. The government needs to act. We all know the pressure on nurses, on wards and in hospitals and that the HSE cannot recruit New Nurses speaks volumes in his book. Mm-hmm. David from Drogheda listening into the show and says that the hair is standing on the back of his neck. And why is that? Because of your line of questioning, Michael. Oh. He says that he's not a nurse or involved in nursing, but you really annoyed him uh, by referring to the wages of nurses and comparing them their wages to other countries. He says you're not comparing the cost of living and he says he calls it sneaky tactics in his opinion that Ireland is a very expensive country to live in and you must take that into account. Okay. Carmel from Carlingford was also quite animated when she phoned Mm -hmm. in and she says tell Michael to get a grip of himself give the nurses what they want that's what I say 
um, if any profession is well deserving of a pay increase and better conditions, it is the nurses, Michael. Mm. You're talking about the Philippines. I don't know what the cost of living is there, but I feel the nurses here in Ireland are well deserving of a pay rise. I don't feel they are being greedy. I feel they work very hard hours and they are very stressed. You can see it yourself when you're Mm. in hospital. And to me, they are the backbone of the hospitals. Uh, What about our politicians? How do their salaries compare to other countries? It's not a nice Mm. job nursing. And you have to be paid so that you can live accordingly. We should be proud of our nurses and give them what they deserve. Up the nurses, Michael says. Right, Carmel, well, I feel yeah. very strongly mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not sure about the politicians uh, or, or what type of politicians. Certainly uh, the national politicians' uh, pay scales are, are through the roof. And quite often we talk uh, about that uh, on an international basis. And uh, I suppose when you're talking about uh, a strike uh, that is going to impact on a public service which is as vital as healthcare and hospitals uh, then uh, I suppose it's only right to examine the claim that has been made in this case it's a pay claim uh, and to compare that with uh, what is happening elsewhere and to see if it's a justifiable claim it seems as though people have come down on the side of the nurses and they believe that it is Well judging mm-hmm. by yep. the comments mm-hmm. we, we've had in so far mm-hmm. this morning definitely we had a good few phone calls on mm-hmm. it Geraldine is one of those who phoned in and she said is that if the, these strikes go ahead, it will impact further on the waiting lists and services in our hospitals. And she thinks that the government needs to sit down now with the nurses' union and work out a compromise so that it doesn't come to this. Okay, well, we've been hearing about some of uh, the work of uh, the nurses. Undoubtedly, they dealt with a man, as we heard yesterday morning, with minor burns when he was taken to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in uh, Drogheda. This man was discovered in a panic state at nine o'clock on uh, Monday evening and it has since uh, transpired that he may have been the victim of an acid attack. Let's talk about this with uh, Sinn Féin councillor Rory O'Murku who's on the line and uh, a very good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme. Uh, what more do you know about this? Well, a young man in his 30s was attacked. It seems at this stage that it was with with acid. Um, now there were initial reports on the ground that he was seriously injured. I'm obviously I'm very happy to see that it has been also reported that these were minor burns, but the reality is it's a serious escalation um, in, I suppose, violent acts like an acid attack. People are, are very worried in the area about it. People across Dundalk are worried about it. Um, I suppose when somebody sets out, and if it is acid, you don't end up accidentally in possession of acid. Mm. It's a really indiscriminate weapon, for the want of a better word. Um, and the guards, well, obviously anyone with information would have to bring it to the guards. Our thoughts with, are with the injured party. We'd like to think he'd make a speedy recovery. And then we would like to see action taken and obviously the guards to deal with this um, with the full vigours of the law because this is a serious situation that could have been probably a hell of a lot more serious. It really is an unbelievable weapon to think of somebody using. Uh, I mean, the damage that could be done to skin, uh, you may need uh, serious work done, skin grafts or whatever, you could lose your sight. You could even be killed by something like this. Oh, at every level, all that you've said. And people have seen injuries across the world where people have carried out attacks with acid. And it's terrible to see this hitting the town of Dundalk. But then I suppose... 
unfortunately, violence is part of the society we live in at the minute in the sense that we're dealing with probably serious enough gang problems and gang violence and drug, drug intimidation, etc. in both Dundalk and Drogheda in the last while. Now, I don't know what this is related to, but it's incredibly serious and it's very worrying for people. Also, very indiscriminate. Like, if someone else was walking by as well, every chance that they would have been injured. Mm. You know, it's just utterly dreadful. There's nothing. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's nothing good that can be said about a, a situation like this. Absolutely, I'm seeing acid yeah. attacks in Dundalk or, or anywhere else. And it probably goes without saying the dangers. Uh, none of us uh, would uh, contemplate uh, the idea of being attacked by somebody else with acid or indeed uh, using it to attack somebody. Indeed, you'd need to be very careful if you're using it for some reason uh, that uh, wouldn't be criminal uh, and wear appropriate clothing and so on. And this seems uh, to have been the case. Uh, the acid, it, it appears, was in a, a bottle when it was thrown at the victim and whoever threw it was wearing gloves. Uh, Gardy discovered uh, gloves and a bottle and they believe that this was a premeditated attack by somebody who knew the victim? Well, it's very difficult to see how it wouldn't be in the sense, like I said earlier, you're not likely to find yourself in a situation accidentally in possession of acid mm. and then to be involved in a you know, serious fracas with somebody. No, it sounds premeditated and it's, see, somebody who would set out to do something like this, you've got to be very worried about what they're going to do into the future. So we need anyone with information to bring it to the Gardaí and we need the Gardaí to take action. And have you heard anything about what might have been behind this attack? I I haven't. Um, I have heard the name of an individual um, who was attacked. Um, Again, I can only make the same assumptions that everyone else can, that it is somewhat personal. It was in the sense that it was directed at somebody, um, but I don't have any information beyond that at this point in time. And I suppose there's there's not a huge amount of information out there, so that probably adds to people's worries also. Indeed, and uh, I would imagine somebody does know, uh, perhaps listening to us uh, this morning, uh, and uh, we'd hope uh, that they'd make that information known to the Gardaí, either by contacting the Gardaí directly or through their confidential line or through yourself or uh, 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 somebody else that they trust for that matter. All right, I'm sorry? I was was going to say, because in relation to obviously the absolute tragic circumstances that happened in RD Mm. and the superintendent stated anybody with any information should come forward 
and let the guards decide how useful that information is one way or the other. Because in a lot of cases, people might know something that's vital, but they believe it's already known or the piece of information that they have isn't that useful. And it could well be. So I would ask anyone with information, whether it's through me, whether it's direct contact with Dundalk Garda Station or the confidential telephone line, to make contact and pass that information on, because this is far too serious. And we definitely don't want a reoccurrence or an escalation or anything beyond this. Sinn Féin Councillor Rory O'Murku, thank you indeed. Let's go back uh, to the phones and uh, the text messages. What else have you got from us? Uh, yes, Michael, Marie? just going back to that story uh, about the decision by the nurses to strike, Eileen phoned in to say that if you talked to most nurses, the last thing they want to do is strike, but she feels they have been pushed to their limit from talking to friends of hers. She says they have been highlighting their pay and terrible conditions for years, but the government has given them a deaf ear, oh, says Eileen. Okay. Michelle wonders who'd want to be a, nor- a nurse in Ireland today. She says that nursing has a bad name because hospitals are so understaffed and they are worked to the bone. Why would anyone want to go into the profession? Mm, okay. So that's just a flavour of what we got in on that topic alone. Right. Just if I can go back, Michael, to a few comments yesterday. We were discussing both um, ways to management and climate change on the show and we had a couple of comments in relation to that. Mm. And Internet says, why doesn't the government reinstate the bag for life? I.e. buy your first bag and when turn or the handle breaks off it or, you know, Mm. she says you could bring it back to the shop where it was purchased and have it replaced free. And that takes care of recycling the bags. Mm. Mm. Uh, I don't have a bin, says Joe. I recycle and my general waste I take to the recycling centre. Uh, Jack says, does anybody look at the filth lying around our country roads? All the talk is on town and villages, but out in the rural countryside, it really is filthy. Look at the rubbish on roadsides, says Jack. Mm -hmm. Wally phoned in and Wally is concerned about increases to bin collections and the impact that that might have on people dumping and getting rid of the rubbish other ways. He mentioned that he had just got yesterday morning a letter from his provider Oxygen to say that he was going to be charged a service charge of 12 euro per month mm. from the first work on the first working day of each month from February 1st yes. so he wanted mm-hmm. to make that point that's it instead of just paying for every lift yeah um, well, he, they've been told that hmm. your pay lift prices will remain unchanged. Yes, but yes. I think it was just pay per lift. Now it's a service charge that's right. plus pay yeah, per That's lift. correct, yes, Michael. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he just wanted to highlight that mm. and wonders what the implications will be if charges keep rising. Yeah, well, I'm sure he feels the, the implication is money for nothing for the service provider. So that's just yeah. some response to that. We also have, and I'm not I'm not going to get to them now, but I know we're covering later on the uh, controversy surrounding Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and the name change. I have lots of comments in mm. relation to that. If we get to them later on, Michael, I'll read out a few. All right, <laughs> and we'll look forward to hearing what people have to say. Thanks for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, Marie and Maggie are taking calls. 1850 715 958 is the telephone number. 
Now, an email that came to us uh, following Monday's programme reads, I listened with a discuss to Michael Reed's show and the interview this morning. Does he not realise the proposal to change the name of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital is an attempt to put all past wrongdoings into a hole and bury them? Keeping the name will allow none of this to be washed away. The committee and I did an extensive survey of the people of Drogheda, the result being that the majority of people clearly say no to a change of name. Is Michael Reid aware of what people think of him as a voice for LMFM? He should take note of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Act from the 1st of July 2013 relating to fairness and impartiality. He is to remain impartial and not voice his own opinion. He is a disgrace as a broadcaster and it's signed by the chairperson of the No Name Committee, Bob McGuffin, who has come into the studio this morning with us and he's joined by Kevin Byrne, who's the secretary of the No Name Change Committee. It's the name of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda, which is in question. Good morning to both of you and thanks Indeed, for joining us. Uh, You obviously took issue with some of the things you were hearing, Bob. Absolutely. Um, You made a couple of comments, and it seemed totally anti the campaign. Uh, One of the statements you made was that uh, a thousand people in a protest was hardly representative of the people of Drogheda. What Frank and Pio failed to mention was, and I know you were on holidays and you probably weren't aware of what was going on. This is Frank Godfrey and Pio Smith. Yeah. I have to afford you that that you were on holidays and you may not have been in possession of all the facts. Uh, Up until last Friday, we had 8,020 signatures on Mm. the petition against changing the name. Mm. Uh, Atrocities were committed against Mm. women in the hospital by a singular person. Mm. Uh, I don't think uh, the whole family should be shot because he did what he did. and certainly if the name has changed and I know from one of the things we got on our Facebook page who failed to identify themselves mm-hmm. and I think it's true but I know how true it is when Fiona Brady Fuddy decides to speak to us is that the hospital did an extensive survey as to why they couldn't recruit medical staff and they found it was because of the past history mm. of the hospital. So how do you do how do you sort that out? Let's change the name and banish into insignificance what happened to those women. That's the way to do it. Change the name. No, don't change the name. Leave the name exactly mm. as it is. And we know that there was uh speak of this name change to be done before the abortion referendum or any religious connections Mm. got to do with the survey. So they're saying they did it purely on the basis of uh, recruitment of staff. Even last night, the nurses who were going on strike said the HSE's operation of the health system, what they're doing now at the moment is they're trying to paper over all the cracks. The hospital needs another x-ray unit. Um, The money is not there this year to change the name in any case. And they want to to, to banish Mother Mary Martin as well to obscurity, who was one of the first, if not the first woman, 
to be given a fellowship by the Royal College of Surgeons for her contribution to medical. And the hospital wouldn't be there, not but for the people of Drogheda, who joined the Buy a Brick campaign, started off with a shilling a week, and then went to a half crown. Mm. Our only reason for this is to retain the historic connection between what a Mary Martin and the hospital with the people of Drada who built it. That's okay. Just, just, ju- just for the record, I, I didn't say that the thousand who turned out in the march wasn't reflective. I asked if it was reflective of the feeling of the people of okay. Drada. All right, I'll concede on that one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it, it mean, just it, it, it. I mean, for a small committee, we were good. This they tried to slip this name in. You know, a couple of weeks before Christmas, thought to get away with mm. the, the management without any consul- consultation with, with, with the public in this town. Mm. Um, a, a committee was formed basically in haste over the Christmas period. Not a good time to be trying to get people to come on committees. Mm. Eight thousand names were gathered over the over a very short period of time. That that, is, that petition is ongoing in the town. Um, I mean, for a small committee on the day, I mean, we had a thousand people there. Um, we had two TV stations. We got we had reporters from four uh, from six papers, uh, four national, two uh, local papers. I don't think it was a bad effort uh, on our behalf. We're given the, st- the time frame we, we were uh, we were hmm. given. No, I'm sure uh, everybody would congratulate you on that. But what difference does it make? What, what difference does it make? Which the name? The name, yeah. The name. I mean, you've, I mean, you've got it. I mean, why change it? Is is what we're about? I mean, no. Fiona Brady put forward three suggestions for names for the hospital. This is the manager, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of them is a university drought hospital. Mm. She didn't do her homework. It can't be conferred on Our Lady of Lords Hospital. Number one, because, and I've done the research, mm. 60 hours of it, it's not under the remit of the HSE to confer mm. the word university on any of their mm. uh, buildings. It's under the Department of Education. So the homework hasn't been done. She started well, the job on uh, the 50th December. I, I mean, I can't argue with you on that point, but I, I, I know that she's put forward three names uh, as uh, possible uh, uh, replacements for the existing name. And it appears it's go- as though it's going to happen. But uh, well, what, di- what, diff- to, what I, difference I, I, does it make to you? Why are you so motivated by this? Because it's a historical connection. I was born in it and my life was mm. saved in it. And my, well, my, especially speaking, my admiration, uh, my, my reason for, for keeping mm. this name is my admiration for Mother Mary Martin mm. and the work she did and the ongoing work that the MMs are continuing to do mm. uh, in, in foreign countries. This is not just about the local town yeah. here. But this woman came into this town. The scandals occurred under, under their control. Mm. But this woman, the only thing I think she's guilty of is the trust she put in these mm. surgeons or individuals who carried this out. Uh, like Mother Mary Martin, she she never discriminated against, against anyone. Mm. Anyone who came into that hospital, whether you're black, white, are you sure? re- any religion, are you sure? You are, I mean, that's, a, that's a very definitive statement. Well, I would like to. Well, I would like to know. I would like to see someone come along and say she discriminated against mm. color, race. Anyone who in that hospital got the same treatment mm. when you were ill. Okay. And yeah. I, and I, I've, but I, they weren't I, afforded the treatment that perhaps they wanted. Uh, wombs were removed. Pelvises were broken, that. but that was in the name of God, in the name of Our Lady no, of Lourdes. No, yes. not in the name of God. No. Yes, the name because, of because God. it was because no. it was it was, it was, done it was by it, a it was, man whose wife had lost her womb. Hmm. 
and he took it out on every other woman. You, 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 you can't, you can't it was done as part of the Catholic ethos of, of no, family no, plans. No, it wasn't, it wasn't no, done. It wasn't that's a ridiculous statement and, to make. And, and it's not a ridiculous statement. Neither of you have had a womb removed. Neither of you have had your pelvis broken. And then women hadn't got them removed in the name of the Catholic religion. It wasn't in the name. You, you, that name you never, don't believe no, that. No, that name never no, hurt. No, so how can you infer that it was? That name never hurt an individual. The name itself. And, mm. and neither did one. But why Mary did the Mar- nuns never apologise for it? That's, I don't know. Why, I, why, 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 why did the nuns spend... So you want the nuns to apologise for crimes committed by a singular doctor? No, I'm not talking about a singular doctor. I mean, there were allegations made against Dr. Michael Shine for different reasons. There were allegations made against Dr. Jared Connolly. There were allegations made against Dr. Michael Neary. Uh, there's a lot of people who were hurt in that hospital. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that this... Uh, proposal may have been put forward uh, because of the people who have felt the hurt, the people who cannot speak for themselves today, the people who were castigated by the people of Drogheda in the past because when they made these claims they were told that they were liars and they were looking for money and that they were money grabbers. That's one of the reasons that this may be considered. There's a a number of reasons really why the change in the name might be considered. Uh, The other is the nuns. You alluded to that. They may not want it to continue under the name of Our Lady of Lourdes because the same hospital is providing abortion services. Uh, as we speak, Our Lady of Lourdes abortion services are available to women and that may be an affront to the nuns. Indeed, we know it is to the priests in St Mary's. There's also the problems that the management have in terms of recruiting people because of the scandals. If you if you Google Our Lady of Lourdes in the Philippines, we were talking about nurses' pay a little while ago uh, and how little they earn. They may be looking for a job here. What will they see? Allegations of child abuse, allegations of wrongdoing, of malpractice, of hurt, pain and injury that was inflicted on women in that hospital and then there's the final argument in all of this which is the pluralist healthcare facility that it is which should be available to all people of all faiths uh, and regardless of where they come from whether they're in Drogheda or in Cavan for that matter well, First of all the scandals are not preventing the HSE from recruiting, uh, that's just a fudged excuse that's been put about. First of all the management haven't even the decency to come out and explain why just, they've just decided that they want to rebrand it. No, no, no reason given for it whatsoever. And the what scan- basis they, they, do you say it's a fudge? It's a fudge because I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because in the HSE at the moment, the last mm. uh, statistics released in June of last year, there was consultant positions opened for 349 people, 44 of them in Cork University Hospital, 19 in Galway mm. University Hospital. The name doesn't mean the name is not preventive. It's the mismanagement of the HSE. They can't get their act together. How come the private hospitals? The Maha uh, and, and BlackRock. The they, management. Can, they, 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 can, they can recruit them. The don't, management, don't be blaming the name. Why not? Well, if the management are, not no, me, the management the, the are. The management are blaming mm. the name. That's a fudge. Mm. That's just a fudge. Get your act together. Like you're, well intentioned. you're well intentioned we in what well-intentioned. you're saying, but you're, but you're ignoring the arguments that are, are, are being put forward for changing the name. I mean, I don't care what the name of the hospital is, personally speaking. I, well, I, I was, my, my, my life was saved in the hospital. Uh, I think it's a fabulous hospital uh, and I'm happy to remember how I, I, I was a patient in Our Lady of Lourdes and I'm sure when I look back and it'll always call it that. But uh, moving forward, people want to draw a line under the past. So are, the, are, are the other Sorry. hospitals going to draw lines under theirs? Savita Halibun Affer. Galway University Hospital. Mm-hmm. Are they going to change the name t- to bury that? Mullingar, again, another instance of uh, mismanagement by the HSE mm. and but lack of proper equipment. 
This is what should be concentrated on. But I'll tell you why they won't change the names, because they're not religious. They have no religious connotations to them. I mean, why is it after 60 years all of a sudden this name is a problem? I mean, why? I mean, if, if people are so concerned about the scandals and the wrongdoings of what done to the people in this, why did they not look to change the name in 2003, 2004? It's only come up now because abortions are going into it and because mm. it has a religious name. Mm. Well, well, I mean, and you've got to, I mean, why don't the hospital come out and well, say do, this? Do, do, I mean, why well, don't well, the do you, management do, say this? People in the street know what's Do you think the on. nuns want... Uh, the, the, well, the, the nuns are sitting neutral, and I've had, I've had a correspondence from them, mm. and they said because they have divested the hospital, they no longer have any mm. say in it, that they, uh, they are sitting, they are neutral, they wish us the best of luck, but they will have no say or no input into it. Mm. They have neither said no or yes, but they well, wish, they wish us the best well, of luck. Well, honestly... Well, I put it this way: the name of Our Lady of Lords sits along all services, mm. right? Now, the other day you said Our Lady of Lords abortion service. That's not where the that's not where the phones are answered in the hospital. If you ring up the Lords, it's Our Lady of Lords Hospital. How can I help you? Mm. And then you put through to A and E or to mm. the mm. high dependency mm. and whatever. Mm. So it, you know it's not coming across. I wouldn't say it sits that easy with them, mm. but we are here to protect that name, and that name is going to stay. We, I mean, we've made it clear right from the start mm. that we totally respect the democratic decision mm. made by the people of Ireland on abortion and every woman in this country is entitled mm. to make her own decision. Mm. And what about yeah. the people who can't be heard? Pe- people who actually but my, but Michael, who have an experience, who have a, a negative experience, who have a lifelong lasting experience. But Michael, they won't we, have that if the name has changed. But the my, idea in changing the name is to encourage people to come and walk in the place. That's a, that's a falsehood. Mm. Mm. No, but that's a falsehood. Mm. Would you change the name of your company that's going really badly and to encourage more and, people Well, to it doesn't matter what I would do. I mean, I think people picked up on what I said the other day and maybe I gave the wrong impression that it was my personal view that the name should change. Uh, uh, I mean, changing the name gives the impression for future people applying for jobs in Our Lady of Lords Hospital when the name changes. It whitewashes everything in that we're squeaky clean, come to walk with us. Okay, you fi- That's exactly what it says. You, you have five arguments, don't you, really? One is, for sentimental reasons, community spirit and all that, keep the name. And then you have four arguments against, as I see it. One is uh, to uh, pay respect to the people who were terribly hurt in, in that hospital, yes, uh, who have terribly allegations so, yes. over many, many decades. Uh, yeah. You've also got uh, the attitude of the nuns. You've got the idea that people of all faiths are having to attend uh, the hospital uh, and uh, it's... a, a Catholic image that the name portrays and then you've got the problem of recruitment that the management have as a result of all of those things. If you arrive, if you arrive to a Lady of Lords Hospital in an ambulance and your life is mm. in serious danger, are you going to refuse to go in and be treated because I doubt it's it. called so, a Lady so, of Lords but, but, Hospital? But is that the suggestion you just put up and shut up? Does that make it right? No. no. But, but no. You, if that hospital had been called Dr. Regent Hospital the last 60 years, mm. do you honestly think they'd be looking for a name change at this stage? I really don't believe. The no, only they reason... They, they would not be... It wouldn't mm. even come, in, come under the radar, yeah. Michael. I mean, you know, get to the point. It's a religious name, and that's the only reason... It doesn't say... That hospital is held within part mm. of the RCISI, mm. with the Royal College of Surgeons. Mm. You control six hospitals. It's the only one that stands there. If you go through them, you have them dark, Monaghan, Beaumont, come down to Our Lady mm. of Lords. It's it, also it doesn't the, sit with them. It's it, also the legacy why, of Mother Mary Martin, the medical missionaries, uh, and how people perceive that their ethos oversaw 
and facilitated the wrongdoing no, it that didn't, occurred no, and hurt ethos, so many people. No, the ethos didn't facilitate well, that's, it. That, that is that's a, my opinion. That's your and opinion. That's, and that's the opinion but of the people of the town. The people of the town know opinion, Mother Mary Martin it's your, didn't. It's no, your opinion. She didn't. Uh, okay, it's your she opinion. Didn't, she didn't. She harmed no one. It's that your opinion. That hospital harmed no one. It's your opinion. It's no, the it's, people of the majority of the town. It's their opinion I agree. Absolutely. Uh, but it, it is perhaps not the opinion of the minority of people who were actually Mike, hurt. Who asked you to? Who gave you permission to speak on their behalf? We haven't had one people. Commi- people we who, we people who cannot and will no, not speak for themselves. They can come on the this same radio. people who were castigated. No, they can come on this radio. They can contact us. Oh, I know us. they can. Yeah. They can co- we, oh, I know we, they we, can. We're very open. Yeah. I've had not mm. one complaint yeah. or one letter in yet. Mm. So I mean, you're speaking. You're speaking on their behalf, but you're using it to, to push your own agenda as well because mm. you want the name changed. So this well, is co- the, I, this is the only angle you're coming. I don't want the name changed. No, you do. No, you, I don't. You stated on the radio. I did state, but, but 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 that that was out of context. Well, I, yeah, I don't, well that's I, accepted, and I'm glad to hear it, Michael. And that's mm. uh, I mean, what what what, what I am doing is facilitating the debate. I don't think there would be a debate if I hadn't been raising these issues because I've been speaking to people who want the name changed. Well, you know, okay. in, in, in England, in one of the most diverse societies and secular societies in Europe, Saint Thomas's in London, Saint Mary's, Saint Mary's in Manchester. I'm sure the list is extensive mm. where people give birth and where people have abortions and there's not a mention anywhere of an attempt to change the names. This is not the only hospital okay. where, where atrocities were committed. Uh, right, it's happened all over the country. Just very briefly now. One, one last thing. I mean, just, uh, do you agree with the waste of money that's going to occur? You know, it's, it's, it's in the millions it's not in the tens oh absolutely the yes the, the, sa- the same every time uh, government changes office uh, the Department yeah. of Environment has a, ha- had how many names I don't know yeah. I mean, it, I mean mm. uh, and scan- I don't but look at no. the scandals as according to HSE recently mm. the cervical mm. screen the whole the Garda Sheet of Connor mm-hmm. they've had their scan would you would anyone out there be in agreement to change the name of Garda Sheet of Connor there'd okay. be an outroll I've no doubt that there's I mean, an awful lot of people who le- agree with everything you've said you know, uh, we have to leave it there though because okay, the time well, has got the better it's been a pleasure thank you very much Thank, Thank you for you. coming into us uh, this morning, Bob McGuffin and Kevin Byrne, uh, who are both members of uh, the committee who want to retain the name of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to the pretty darn despicable uh, protest against Our Lady of Lourdes uh, abortion services, which was held this week by some seven people who got themselves photographed in all of uh, the newspapers after staging uh, this peaceful protest, uh, but uh, were subjected to that comment uh, that I made there by the Minister for Health, Simon Harris. Let's talk to Neve Evreen who's a spokesperson with the Life Institute. And I take it, Neve, you'd have a, a different opinion than the minister would hold. Hello, Michael. How are you? Um, I would, absolutely. I think that Simon Harris's response to this perfectly peaceful protest has been one of fake outrage. You know, and you can see that um, mirrored right across, I think, the, the spectrum of, of abortion campaigners and politicians who favour abortion. You had people like Catherine Noon, you know, calling peaceful protests intimidating behaviour and saying that they wouldn't be tolerated. And you know, people like Louise Riley of Sinn Féin, which is the party of protest, saying that like, this would have to stop and this kind of it was harassment to hold placards outside a place of business or or, um, or, or an abortion clinic. And again, so the law would have to come down to bear on anybody who held witness outside an abortion clinic or outside a hospital. And it's extraordinary because, you know, whatever your opinion on abortion, um, 
people have a right to protest and they have a right to do so peacefully and they have a right to make their voices heard and to stand in solidarity or in witness with the baby and the woman who they feel is, is, is not getting the right option or is not having their right to life uh, protected. And so, would protesters have the support of the Life Institute? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, I think there are two issues here. Would you encourage really, people to do it, in other words? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think there are two issues here that are really important. The first is the, is the right to protest. And we have a constitutional right in this, in this country to protest and to assemble. And that's a really, really important right. Mm. And if you look at the fact that nurses, for example, have said now that at the end of this month, the 31st of January, they're going to go out to protest. So they'll be doing what these people did outside hospitals and outside clinics, outside uh, medical centres. They'll be holding placards and they'll be making their point of view heard. And they would argue, of course, that they've been driven to do so because Simon Harris mm. has ma- is making a complete dog's dinner of the health service. Like the health service is an absolute chaos. But we have a health minister who is getting away with all of this because the media let him away with it because he tweets daily about abortion and about, about how much he supports abortion and about how much he's going to crack down on anybody well, who dares have a different opinion. I, I, I know, Nave, why you'd want to protest uh, against uh, abortion or an abortion service provider, but what would you hope to achieve through protesting outside of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital or some other service provider? Well, I think if you look, like I wasn't there uh, um, on when the when the campaigners went outside, mm-hmm. and I wasn't in Galway. But I think it's very important to look at what happened in Galway and what happened in Drogheda. And I would absolutely support them and support their right to do what they did. So, in both instances, you had a smallish group of people, seven people actually, I think, in, in both instances, mostly women, and they weren't going there. Um, and the, this is what they have said: they weren't going there really to protest. They were there to kind of stand in witness. To, to the fact that a baby was going to be killed. And in Galway, I saw that Ria Mahoney said that, and this is, I think, reflected in the placards that they were holding, they wanted to go there to say to women There's a, there is another option. Mm. So very often in other countries where abortion has become legal, what happens is you, get, you kind of get a different mix of people who might go to these centres, who might go to places where babies are being killed. And very often, though, their message is one of offering support. So it's very rare that people go in angry protest to, mm. to a hospital or to an abortion clinic, they're usually going to try to say to the women who might be going in, they're very often in fear and panic, look, we can help you. Now, there's, there's something else that you can do here. You can have the baby. There are supports there. Like, don't rush in and make this decision, decision feeling and that are, there's no are, other way. Are you saying, Neve, that in other countries, the experience is that when people stand outside as they did in Drogheda with placards saying uh, abortion is murder, killing underway, let him live, let her live, that sort of thing, that a, a woman who's about to go into the hospital to have her pregnancy terminated turns in her heel and decides otherwise. Is that if you look, for example, at the placards that, that say things like let her live or let him live, and if you look at the placards that were being held in Galway, which was like that there is a better option, and you know there were contact details for, for uh, crisis pregnancy um, help centres and things like that, yes, that, that actually is the case, Michael. Like you have recorded instances, very many of them, um, where, where people who are going into the clinic, sometimes under duress, mm. sometimes because they felt they had no other option, and who, for the first time, met somebody who said, look, I can help you. Look, well, there's I something mean... something else that you can do besides, besides going in there and paying somebody or having somebody pay to have your baby killed. If that is true, well, then she really didn't think about it before deciding to have an abortion. Well, I don't think that's true, Michael, because I've talked to a lot of women who've been in crisis with, with, a, with the pregnancy and women who've undergone abortion and they will tell you that very often what drove them is fear and panic mm. and, and very often what 
didn't help them was that nobody offered a different alternative. And everyone, this is part of the, of the mentality, I think, that unfortunately takes hold when abortion becomes legal, that everybody thinks they're pro-choice. But what they're actually saying to women is, look, you're on your own. Yeah. It's on you, the decision's on you, the regret's on you, the pain is on you, but we're just standing back and letting Well, aren't women asked to contact the myoptions.ie? Mm, and that's a really interesting point, mm-hmm. right? Because when you ring myoptions.ie... They give you all of the options. Mm, they tell you where you can go to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one of that's one of the options. No, they don't say. You know, look. They, 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 you, you say I live in Cavan. I want to know where where I can get an abortion in Cavan, mm-hmm. and they give you the name of the doctor or the hospital that's currently mm-hmm. providing. And whatever you say, are there other options? Well, then they're not. That's not their job right now. Their job right now isn't to say, "Come on in and have a chat." Look, look. How do you feel about continuing with the pregnancy? Mm. What are the difficulties here? You know, are you coming under duress? None of that is being examined. And partly, of course, that's partly because Simon Harris is dancing entirely to the tune but of abortion campaigns. If you did ask, they'd, they'd, they'd talk you through all of the options, wouldn't they? Mm, no, they're not. They're not talking to all the options. They're simply putting you, they're giving you the information that you need if you're looking for a termination. Mm. And I think the advertisements that you know are, you, you can see online and and that are being broadcast. What, 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 what would they say if you rang up and said, what are my options? Well, they, they're going to direct you to, to um, if you're looking for a termination, Going to no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> if you hang up and said, what are my options? Well, the, the, there's a, a, another helpline, um, Positive Options, mm. which is, is meant to let women mm. see that there are, you know, there are different alternatives available to them. But what, what is missing from all of this is you can see in everything that Simon Harris has been doing, because like he's rushing to get the service out. And there are very many doctors and commentators who are, you know, who are in favour of legalised abortion, who are saying this is all being rushed, there are no proper guidelines in place, the mm. services are put out when hospitals aren't ready, when GPs aren't signed up, everything like that, and this could actually endanger women. But I think even, even, even and Simon Harris is saying, well, he would sort that out in due time, but he's not explaining why he's, he's he just feels that he has to rush mm. this out, apparently just to please uh, abortion campaigners. But what is missing in everything he is saying, and I think this is a fair comment, Michael, if you look back on everything he has said since the referendum has passed, and especially in the run-up, in the Dáil debates, in, in the run-up to push the service out as fast as he possibly can, are alternatives. He is not saying we're going to give extra money to single parents. He is not saying we're going to give extra money to, um, to, to crisis pregnancy services no, well, which might think, offer women a better option. I, 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 he's I th- not mentioning adoption. None of that. All I, we're hearing well, is... Well, I think he's mentioned abortion. contraception uh, and uh, free contraception and uh, counselling, but... Uh, these but he's, pro- not saying, he's not saying, OK, if you're in crisis, here's another alternative. Yeah, but honest, you, I, think, you, I think that's a fair comment. That if you, well, those, you those, alternatives, ex- those alternatives already exist, and uh, if you use contraception, perhaps she won't be in crisis but these protests are, are not illegal nobody's done anything wrong but that may change soon uh, if there are buffer zones exclusion zones uh, what do you think people should do at that stage how should people react should they respect the law well it's interesting because Catherine Noon immediately tweeted uh, uh, once she saw the photograph of seven people standing you know peacefully with, with, with placards in their hands, it was a silent protest. It was like a vigil in Galway. They, they weren't blocking the door. They weren't mm. trying to talk to anybody. And she immediately tweeted. And this, this is a mm. legislator. This is not just a, an abortion campaigner or a random commentator. This is a legislator, somebody who has that kind of power in this country. She tweeted, outrageous. This intimidating behaviour will not be tolerated. Mm. Well, the law now, is go- was, it's going, I, to be, it's going to become illegal to well, protest. Uh, have a look at that because we have a constitutional right to protest so Harris is going to have to try to draft law 
which marries those two mm. things, the constitutional right to protest and his belief that you shouldn't be well, allowed let's say he manages, to offer women a different, be, different option well, than abortion. Let's say he manages to do that. And you're, yeah. you're, you're right to question if it's possible because the constitution is never straightforward. But let's say he manages to do that. Should people respect the law if it becomes illegal? Well, I, I, I'm just going to... I can finish the point I was making first because here's what I think is interesting about it. Like Noon's use, the words she used there, I think, are very telling. She said this behaviour will not be tolerated. And I think we're entering a very dangerous kind of scenario where you have a legislator deciding what kind of peaceful protest will not be tolerated. Mm. To me, that's like a step towards totalitarianism. And I would advise people to think, whatever their opinions are on abortion, if you think of all the other kind of protests that take place, you know, mm. whether it's about the banks, whether it's about water charges, whether it's about the nurses going out on strike, whether it's about anything that opposes government policy. We, can, we, we are seeing senators saying that that behaviour will not be tolerated. It's a very dangerous step for this country to take, where you, where you have political parties agreeing that they won't tolerate peaceful protests because they don't agree with what the protesters are saying. That's very, very dangerous. Okay. And I believe personally and just, that just if that ju- law was passed, that, that, yeah. that law is an unjust law and, and should have no moral authority and I would be very happy to break it. All right, well, we'll come back uh, and talk, uh, I'm sure, again about all of this uh, in the future. have to leave it there for now and Thanks, thank you Michael. indeed, as always. Neve Evreen, spokesperson for the Life Institute. Michael Reed on LMFM. There's 20,000 fewer people who are unemployed than would have been the case a year ago. 127,100 people out of work, an unemployment rate of 5.3%, well down on when it peaked at over 15% and almost half a million were out of a job in this country. Let's talk about this with Breed O'Brien, Head of Policy and Media with the INOU, the Irish National Organisation of the unemployed, all very positive stuff, Breed. Oh, yeah, the figures are, are heading in the right direction, which is welcome. Now, of course, we don't know what Brexit is going to do to all of this. Uh, could put a, a, a large hole in it all, unfortunately. But at the moment, certainly the headline figures are moving in the right direction, yeah. Uh, Not all is sweetness and light. Uh, Youth unemployment seems uh, to continue to be a problem. Not the problem that it once was at about 20%, but still very high at over 12%. Yes, I mean, youth unemployment often runs at a higher rate to the the national rate. Um, The numbers of young people, say, who are counted amongst those who are unemployed will be roughly about 30% of that figure. Um, So the so seventy percent of it are, are kind of age twenty five and upwards. Um, what's kind of curious about the figures this time around um, is that the numbers of people who are on the, who are unemployed has gone up, but the, their unemployment rate has gone down, which would suggest that there's more young people in work. But again, we'll need to see the lab, next labour force survey to see if that estimate is correct. If that is indeed the reality that there are more young people in work, which hopefully will will, will, will prove to be true. Mm. Um, but I think for those young people who who are unemployed, there are particular difficulties that can face some of them in terms of actually just trying to find work or secure employment. Um, finding a job is a skill. Some people are very good at it, others not so good at it. So I do think it's important that the supports and services are there for people to be able to secure employment. Uh, and more of a, a prospect, uh, I gather. Are we close to full employment, do you think? Well, full 
influencer is a technical economic term, um, and it usually means kind of as much employment uh, um, as an economy can absorb. Um, But I do think that we need to be very mindful when we start to talk about that, that there are people who are distanced from the labour market. People who, for who, be because they have a disability or they're from certain communities whose unemployment rates are much higher than everybody else's. And we need to ensure that this time around we make sure that people get access to employment, to decent employment, and that we put the services there that really offer them the opportunity to do that. Mm. And then that work is done with employers to encourage them to give employment opportunities maybe to people in the past they wouldn't have considered. Because we didn't do that at the height of the Celtic Tiger. We left a lot of people out. I think it's really important that we ensure we don't do that this time around. All right. Now, I suppose full employment is always at about 4% uh, because you've got people who are in between jobs or whatever their situation is. Uh, Perhaps uh, something uh, has happened that they want to take some time out or they can't work or or won't work or or can't hold a job down is the case may be. Uh, The Irish Independent is reporting today that there's 700 people who've been unemployed for 20 years or more. There are are some people for whom who kind of there can be a range of challenges facing people and one of the issues feedback we get from people is ageism so people maybe lost their jobs at the beginning of the crisis Mm. the services initially were slow enough to when they got reconfigured to re-engage back with people who were longer-term unemployed. Initially, the focus was on those who were shorter-term unemployed to try and get the numbers down. So feedback we've gotten from some people who were very long-term unemployed is that, I suppose, at this stage, they sort of feel who will employ them, and that can be a difficulty. Employers can be reluctant to employ people who've been out of the labour market for a long time. Mm. We will be aware of programmes where you know, good supports are in place, good work is done with people and then work done with employers and that has helped to open the door for people. So I do think it's important as we move towards full employment that we really ensure that we kind of, the supports that are there are targeted at the people who are particularly who are long-term unemployed to support them to be able to make the transition from unemployment to employment. Um, Quite a number of our programmes how people are referred on often isn't on the basis of need. It tends to be by sort of central selection, some of it random, by computer. And I do think at this stage now we need to start to look at how some of that has been done mm. so that there's good work happening nationally and locally and that we ensure that local services that are there, be they in the, the state's own services, be they in the community and voluntary sector or be they in the mm. private for-profit sector, that people are working together to really support people because I think the reality is for those who are very long-term unemployed, there can be a range of issues facing people and they need they need the supports on the ground mm. all working together. Are, are they categorised wrong, perhaps? I mean, when you think of people being unemployed for 20 years, uh, it's hard to believe. Uh, Willie O'Dea is quoted in the same article saying he doesn't understand it. Uh, how could it be uh, when we're close to full employment? Uh, you're quoted uh, saying that there's issues like uh, mental health problems uh, and drug use. Uh, should we be looking to recategorise these people? Um, at the moment, there's, it's one of the issues that some of our affiliates have raised with us, where particularly affiliates who maybe are providing local services, that people are being referred to them that they feel are not ready to engage, even in, say, a programme like Tooth or Community Employment, which are, are aimed at people who are long-term unemployed. Um, and so we do need those kind of developmental programmes and supports that are there for people. 
Um, we ourselves run a programme that is aimed at people who are long-term unemployed and our participant from last year's programme secured his first job and he's in his late 30s. Mm. So you do need those kinds of intensive supports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know one of the things that people have raised was this, the failure. People really aren't probably, wouldn't meet the criteria for a disability payment, but people feel that the sort of the criteria that are in a job seekers payment, that in fairness to people, do they meet it? But I would feel what we really need are programmes that really try to address some of those issues. And that when you, because I've seen it time and time again, when you've got the right programme in place and match people with the right programme, it can make a huge difference in people who themselves may have never thought they'd ever see a job or ever see a job Very again okay, can, can make that transition. Very good. I have to leave it there. Thank you as always though. Breed O'Brien, Head of Policy and Media with the INOU, brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.